the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit on that evening. Through the grace of God, we will study tonight chapter 5 from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. St. Paul in this letter is actually defending his apostleship and explaining the nature of his service. In chapter 4, he told them that in spite of the suffering, in spite of the false accusation, in spite of the hardships that he is facing, but he will not lose heart, he will not lose hope, he will continue to be hopeful. Why? In chapter 5, giving us some reasons why he will continue to be hopeful. He said, even if they killed me, even if they killed me, and they would kill the body, and he called the body is earthly house, or earthly tent. So even if this tent is destroyed, but he will be raised with the glorious body. And he described the glorious body as house not made with hands, but God prepared for us. And he said, I am longing to this. I am longing to be, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. Because this much, much better. And I am confident that we will have this glorified body. I am confident that we will go to heaven. But this confidence is what? That the Lord give us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. As a guarantee. He said, here in the flesh, we do not see God by our eyes. We see Him by faith. But when we go there, we will see Him face to face. That's why while we are walking by faith here, we have to make it our goal to be pleasing to Him. Why? Because we will stand before the throne of God and we will give account on our deeds, whether good or bad. So after St. Paul explained why you will not lose heart, and why he will continue to be hopeful. In the last part of the chapter, he starts to reflect about his ministry. And said, now I know that I will give an account before God. This fear, the fear of the Lord, motivates me to preach the word and to persuade men. So the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom, motivated St. Paul to preach and to persuade men. And he is serving God in such a way 
that he doesn't need to defend himself. But he wants the Corinthians by seeing the fruit that God is making on behalf of St. Paul, so he is expecting the Corinthians to defend him and to uh, respond to those who falsely accuse him. But St. Paul is not motivated only by the fear of God, but also he, motivated, he is motivated by the love of Christ. As he said, love of Christ compels me. And because of this love, he is no longer living for himself, but living for God. And he doesn't judge people according to their appearance, because he knows that those who accepted Christ, those who were baptized and died with Christ, now they are new creation with Christ. And St. Paul explaining his ministry as ministry of reconciliation, because God the Father reconciled the world in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the servants of God are ambassadors of, for Christ. Doing the ministry of reconciliation and imploring people on behalf of God to be reconciled with God. This actually is the summary of the chapter. And now we will start verse by verse from verse 1. Verse 1 For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. As I told you in chapter 4, St. Paul spoke about had not losing heart, in spite of all the sufferings, in spite of the false accusation, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the hardships, but he doesn't lose heart. Actually, he remembered the word of Christ when he told us, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. After this, they have nothing more to do. So St. Paul keeping in mind the words of Christ, he said, this body is a tent. This body is a temporary house, earthly house, in which we are camping during a journey. And even if they killed me, even if I die and the body be dissolved, this is not the end of the story. Because if our earthly house is destroyed, we have a building from God. What is this building from God? This is speaking about the glorified body. We have building of God. House not made with hands, with earthly hands, but eternal in heaven. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, how St. Paul spoke about the resurrection of the bodies. And in the creed that we say before baptism, 
the baptized person says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. So these bodies will be raised, but raised in a glorified way. It's a spiritual body, meaning the body will not have physiological requirement like this earthly body. That's why St. Paul called it heavenly and eternal body. Verse 2. For in this we grow, earnestly desiring to be close with our habitation which is from heaven. St. Paul is saying, while we are in this weak body, in this tent, actually we grow, we suffer. That's why we long for deliverance from this body. Because once we die and we are raised with Christ, there is no suffering, there is no pain anymore. That's why we long for deliverance from this body and we are longing for the eternal spiritual glorified bodies. In this body we grow, we suffer. That's why we earnestly desire to be close, to put on the spiritual glorified body of resurrection, which is heaven. When the spirit leaves this body, actually as if it is leaving an old and worn out clothing. And in the second coming of Christ and in the resurrection of the dead, we will be clothed by heavenly bodies. Actually, in Greece, because Corinth is a city in Greece, there was a theory that when the person dies and when the spirit leaves the immortal body, then it remains without a body, eternal. So in other words, they do not believe in the resurrection of the body. They do not believe in the resurrection of the body. They say the body will return to dust and that's it. But St. Paul here actually is emphasizing the truth of the resurrection of the body. Especially in verse 3, when he said, If indeed having been clothed, if we will put on the heavenly body, then we shall not be found naked. The spirit will not be without body. So as if he is saying, if the spirit is without body, it's naked. But when actually we put on the body, the glorified body, then we are clothed, we are not naked. So verse 3 is one of the verses that support the resurrection of the body. If we do be clothed upon with the glorious body, then we shall not be found naked. Verse 4 For we who are in this tent, in this earthly body, grow. While we are living here on earth, we grow, we suffer. Being burdened 
burdened with the sufferings and the hardships that we face every day. But St. Paul is emphasizing here, not because we want to be unclothed. St. Paul is saying it is not our wish to be without bodies. It is not our desire to be without bodies. But actually, our desire is to be clothed by the heavenly body. But further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. When we put on the eternal body, the glorified body, the heavenly and spiritual body, then this mortality, this mortal body, will be swallowed up by life. So again, St. Paul is emphasizing in verse 4 the resurrection of the body. It is not our wish to be free from a body, but our desire to have a better one, to lay off the old, the mortal garment, and to be clothed upon with the heavenly garment, the spiritual body, which is immortal and eternal. Verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He said, God from the beginning created man from body and spirit. So, it is God's plan for us to have a spirit and body. That's why in the second coming of Christ, we will be spirit and bodies too. This is the plan of God. God who has prepared us, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. This is the plan of God. That's why when death enters into the world by the envy of the devil, now we have this desire for immortality. And God is the one who placed in us the desire for immortality. And God actually died to, ab to abolish the power of death. And He rose up in order to give us the power of life and to be raised with Him in His second coming. And if the Spirit raised Jesus Christ from death, then actually God gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Why? As a guarantee that if you have the Spirit of God, you will be raised. That was what Paul said. God put in us the desire for immortality, the longing for immortality. And He gave us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee, as a proof of fulfillment of His promises. That when He comes again, He will raise us with Him and we will live eternally with Him. Verse 6. So, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the world. He said we are always confident. Confident of what? Confident of the resurrection of the bodies. 
confident that in the second coming of Christ we will be raised. Confident that we will inherit with him the kingdom of heaven. Who gave us this confidence? The Holy Spirit who abides in us. So we are always confident. And he said, now while we are living here in earth, in this earthly tent, and he call it home, earthly home, we are absent from the Lord. Meaning what? We are absent from the Lord. We see him only by faith. We don't see him by, by sight, but we see him by faith. So, therefore we are absent from him. And this actually makes us long to see him by sight. Every one of us wants to see Christ by his eyes. That's why uh, we have the desire to depart from this world, to be with Christ, to see him face to face, as he said in verse 7. But for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's why he said, we are absent. We, we see God by the eyes of faith, but not by sight. We walk by faith, but by, not by sight. But we are, verse 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be, to be present with the Lord. So, we are confident. When we are absent from the earthly body, which means when we die, and when we go to heaven, and we will be raised with Christ, then actually we will see Him, and we will be present with the Lord. That's why we are not only longing for this, but we are well pleased. We desire to depart from the body, to be with Christ. This is our happiness. This is our pleasure to be with Him always. That's why the departure of the saints is considered a feast. Because this is the day of wedding in which our souls will be wed to Christ. Verse 9. Knowing that we will be raised, knowing that we will go to heaven. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Because like the ten virgins, who went with the bridegroom? Only those who were ready. Only those who were wise. That's why we strive to live that both in our life here we may please Him and at His second coming we may be found pleasing to Him. That's why He said, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. Actually, with the approach of the new Coptic here, I hope we can take this verse as our goal, to make it our aim, as St. Paul said. Therefore, we make it our aim, 
whether present or absent, whether present here on earth or in his second coming when we are absent from the body, to be well pleasing to him, to be well, well pleasing to him. And he's reminding us that in the second coming of the Lord, he will judge everyone according to his deeds, whether they are good or evil. That's why we need to strive to be found well-pleasing to him. He said in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The judgment day is the stimulus to strive to be accepted by Christ. When actually you remember that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, this will stimulate you to strive to be pleasing to Him. Because the object of the judgment is that we may reap the fruit of what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. We will be given according to our deeds, whether good or bad. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we may persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. St. Paul spoke about two things help us to live godly life and righteous life. Fear of God and love of God. Both. Some people may need the fear of God to live righteously. And actually when we grow in our love for Christ, the love will cast the fear out. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. So, if you do not feel the love of God inside your heart, start with the fear of God. Fear God because you will give an account before Him. And use the fear of God to live a righteous life. St. Paul, the fear of the Lord the terror of the Lord made him faithful and honest in his ministry. And he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men to please God. Actually, he used the fear of the Lord to encourage the people to live righteous life. He is telling them, you will stand before God. You will give an account. So, keep the fear of, of, of the Lord in your heart and live righteously and please Him. Do His will and seek His uh, acceptance. And He said, because St. Paul now is responding to the false accusation, because the uh, false teachers were accusing St. Paul that he is not apostle, 
He is seeking his own glory. He is asking people to follow him. He is praising himself. Many, many accusations about St. Paul. So he said, we are well known to God. God see our whole life. God see our faithfulness. And our faithfulness in ministry to persuade men is motivated not by fear of men, by the fear of God. And now God sees our whole life and knows our motives of our ministry and knows our deeds also. As St. Paul continued to say, and I hope too that as God knows us very well, I hope that you at Corinth know me. We are well known to God and I also trust are well known in your conscience. I want to have a witness in your conscience to know that I am faithfully serving the Lord because I fear Him, not because I seek my own glory. In chapter 3, St. Paul started chapter 3 by telling them, do we need letter of recommendation to you or letter of recommendation from you? You are our epistle. That's why in, in verse 12, St. Paul said, for we do not commend ourselves again to you. St. Paul is saying, I don't want to praise myself. I don't want to defend myself. I don't want to defend my ministry. But actually, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Someone is telling them, I don't, I don't want to commend myself anymore to you. But when I'm speaking about the fear of God, how I am faithful in my ministry, how I am motivated by the fear of the Lord, actually I'm giving you opportunity to defend us and to glorify over our work and our life. So you can answer the false teachers who attacks me. Answer the false teacher not to defend me, but to defend your faith because they are casting doubt in your faith. How? These teachers were from Jewish background and they asked them to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's why he, told, he, he, he said, who both in appearance by having circumcision in, in flesh, so they both that uh, in your flesh in appearance, in the external appearance, external circumcision, but St. Paul is speaking about the circumcision of the heart in baptism when we put off the old man and put on the new man. So he is saying now I am giving you opportunity by examining my service, by examining my teaching, by examining my preaching to be able to give an answer to the false teachers who teach you to boast in the appearance to boast from outside by the external circumcision, not by the internal circumcision of the heart through baptism and putting off 
the old man and putting on the new man. Verse 15. One of the accusations, they accused him that he lost his mind. He is mad. So St. Paul said, For if we are beside ourselves, if we are crazy, if we are mad, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. He is saying, if it is true that we lost our mind, then actually God understands the emotion which God actually gave us and inspired us to defend the faith. So these emotions that you describe as madness, as, great, as craziness, these emotions God understands very well. And it is He who gave us this emotion. And this is for God to defend the faith and to spread the good news of, of the gospel. So, if you believe that we are beside ourselves and we lost our mind, actually we did not lose our mind. But these emotions or what seems madness to you, it is to defend the gospel. It's for God. But if you see us as other kinds of sound mind, in order to reason with you, in order to persuade you, in order to preach you the word of salvation. So if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Verse 14. After Paul said, we are motivated by the fear of God, now he is giving another reason. We are not only motivated by the fear of God, but also by the love of Christ. <coughs> he said in verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge us, that if one died for all, then all die. It is the love of Christ that moved him in all his conduct, whether to appear as crazy as lost his mind, or to appear as with sound mind. The love of Christ is compelling, constrains me. And this love appeared in the death of Christ on the cross. And why he died? He died on the cross because he wants us to die with Him, to sin, and to rise with Him, and your creation. So St. Paul is saying, I am, who was a blasphemer, who was a persecutor of the Church of God. Now, I am a new creation. And I know that I am a new creation because Christ loved me. Christ died for me. Christ transformed me. Christ delivered me from the, the sinful life I was living. And He gave me a new life. Because we judge us. If one 
died, if Christ died for all, for everybody, then all died in Him. Died in Him. Who accepts Him, died in Him. That's what we have in baptism. We die with Christ. Verse 15. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was again. When we die for Christ, the, uh, the life that we have right now actually is not ours. The wages of sin is death. So, because of our sins, all of us should die. So if we are living now, this life is not ours. This life is a gift of Christ to us. He gave it to us because He loved us. And because of this love, this life now, which is not ours, we will not live it according to our own desires, but we will live it according to Him. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, because we are dead, because we are sent, but for Him. Because our life now is His life, who died for them and rose again. So, in baptism, we die with Him. And Christ died in order to give us life, so that we should not live for ourselves anymore, but for Christ who died for us. That's exactly what St. Paul did. After his transformation, he consecrated his life to the ministry. He consecrated his life to Christ. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. As all have died to live new lives for Christ, now they are not to be known as belonging to the old fleshly races, but as members in Christ's body. I cannot say I'm Jewish or I'm Greek. In Christ there is no Jews or Greek. But in Christ we are all one in His body. That's why He said from now on, after you die and rise with Christ, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't say that Jews are the chosen people of God. I don't regard a certain race or a certain nation, but all are the same in Christ. There is no difference between male and female. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. There is no difference between black and white. In Christ, all the same. We do not regard anyone according to the flesh. Even those who boast that they met Christ in the flesh. Because at the time when St. Paul wrote this letter, 
some people actually who saw Christ in the flesh will still live. So St. Paul is saying, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. People who knew Christ according to the flesh, many of them followed Him to heal their sickness, to feed their hunger. As the Lord told them in John chapter 6, you follow me not because uh, you saw wonders, but because you were ate of the bread and were filled. Labor not for the food that perish, but labor for the food that does not perish. That's why St. Paul is saying, even Christ, we should not know Him after the flesh, but we should know Him after the Spirit. What does it mean? Know Christ after the flesh means to love Him emotional love, not spiritual love. To boast that you talked with Him in the flesh, to expect temporal benefits from Him, to heal your disease, to provide food for you, to give you earthly and temporal uh, blessings. But St. Paul said, no, our goal now, not to know Christ according to the flesh, which means to ask earthly desires and earthly blessings from Him, but to know Him spiritually as new creatures. And we long for our spiritual uh, eternal life, not for the earthly thing that will pass away. That's why in verse 17 he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation, spiritual creation, not earthly one. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are new creatures because we died with Christ. We were buried with Him in baptism and we are risen to walk in a new life. The old life with all its passions, with all its desires, with all its sins, ended in baptism when we died and we were buried. The affections of the old life, the motives of the old life, the thoughts of the old life, the hopes of the old life, even the whole life have changed. Now it is new in Christ. Now all things have passed away. Behold all things has become new. Verse 18. Now all things are of God. All things are of God. St. Paul usually when he uses the word of God, he is referring to the Father. When he uses the word of God, he is speaking about the Father. So when he said all things are of God, he is saying, the salvation that Christ fulfilled, the new life that we received in baptism, 
everything goes according to the will of the Father. As we say in the praises, according to the will of the Father and the pleasure of the Son and the Holy Spirit, He was born and saved us. So, all things are of God. The Father is the one who planned all this according to His will. Who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. The Father is the one actually who sent Christ to the world, who sent His only begotten Son to the world. Why? To reconcile us to Him. Because of our sins, we were enemies. But when Christ died and redeemed us, now we are reconciled uh, with the Father through Jesus Christ. So, through the salvation that the Lord fulfilled on the cross, we have been brought back to the love of God, to love His will, and to follow and obey Him, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us in Jesus Christ. Then He appointed ministers, servants, apostles, priests, bishops in the church. And what is the aim of our ministry? The aim of our ministry is reconciliation. The object of our service is to call people to be reconciled with God, to accept the sacrifice of Christ and to repent and be reconciled with God, to be transformed and to be uh, with peace with God. That's why in the ordination of the priest, we ordain him after the reconciliation prayer, before the deacon says greet one another with a holy kiss. Why? Because the priest is a servant of reconciliation. It's doing the ministry of reconciliation. He is asking the people on behalf of God to be reconciled with God. That's why St. Paul said, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? In verse 19, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Hell? not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In Christ we are offered peace by forgiving our sins, and we saw the love of God. So how God reconciled us to himself? By making Christ a sin sacrifice. He carried our sin. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. He imputed our trespasses. Thus actually we became righteous in Christ. Now we can be reconciled to the Father. And He gave us the work of reconciliation. What is the work of reconciliation? The work of reconciliation is to persuade men to accept God's love and mercy. To repent that God can forgive their trespasses. 
as Peter or the day of Pentecost, he said to the people, repent and be baptized. That's the word of uh, reconciliation. We have the message of God, that's why St. Paul said we are the ambassadors of Christ. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The servant, the priest, the clergy, the bishop should understand that he is the ambassador of Christ. The ambassador is not preaching his own message, but preaching the message of God. We are his authorized messenger, speaking for God, beseeching the people for Christ and in his name to be reconciled by God to God by repentance and by the obedience of faith. As if God is speaking to the world through the clergy, through his servants, speaking, telling them what? The investors are saying, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. By repentance, and by accepting the faith. Verse 21, For he made him, he is the Father, made him the Son, Christ. For the Father made the Son, who knew no sin, the Son of God, that's why he sinned. So the Father made the Son, who knew no sin, to be sent. Why? For us. How he became sent? Because he carried our sins. He is the Lamb of God, who carried the sin of the whole world. So, as sinless Redeemer, he carried our sins, and he was made sin to atone us. He became a sin offering and trespass offering to forget our sins. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That our sins might thus be atoned for. The Lord is satisfied and now we are forgiven. So now we have the righteousness of God in Christ. Now we become righteous in Christ. Since we die with Christ, in Christ we are justified and we became righteous. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.